So we're at it again. Fasting. Glory. <laughs> Only Jay said glory to that. But he meant it. Amen. How's it going? Good. Yeah? Somebody's just staying real quiet over there. Fasting is like the kale of spiritual disciplines. Uh, we all know it's good for us, but nobody orders it. I mean, she just, well, except Melissa Loftus, she orders kale. Uh, fasting is abstaining from food or other things for spiritual purposes. Um, I like to say this, it's giving up something good in order to get in on something that's better. But I have to admit that I get hangry when I fast. Anybody else get hangry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know this because I get real excited about taking a breath mint. There's no, I don't think there's any nutritional value, but it feels like there might be some substance there. Uh, I drive by past fast food places and I judge all the people inside. Bunch of heathens in there. Um, my Chick-fil-A app notifies me, where have you been lately? Um, I'm tormented by the memory of that one piece of cherry pie left over from Christmas. Yes, I meant to eat it New Year's Day. Ugh. I get jealous when I feed my dog. Don't say you haven't. I mean, it just... This last Friday, I was driving, and I got so distracted by a billboard advertising sushi that I almost had an accident. And I don't even like sushi. So hangriness is something that we might be struggling with. You know, it helps us see that we're controlled by things a whole lot more than we wish that we were. Our appetites, even when they're for our benefit, control us more than we think. But while I've been hungry this uh, last few days, and will be hungry in the next two and a half weeks, I've also been helped. And while I've been challenged, I've been encouraged, and where I've been stretched, I've been strengthened. We had a wonderful prayer time on Friday morning, and then this morning we spent 25 minutes or so prayer before the service and I began writing down things that people were praying. I think this is a really good exercise. Maybe you ought to do it. It's kind of like a journal for us collectively. Would you hear people pray, what scriptures are being shared? Just jot down what's impressing you at the moment. And so Friday morning as people were praying, we were gathered here in a large circle right here. And uh, I just began jotting down things that I heard people praying because I thought, Lord, you are probably in on all of this. You're probably leading people in their prayers. And here's some things that I heard people praying. We want to say yes to you, Lord. We want to say yes to your presence and to your freedom and to your deliverance. We want to say yes to when you open a door. And we want to say yes to when you close a door. I heard another person pray that humility is key, that it would be better for us to be a lowly vessel under God's rule than a mighty ship that ends up being vulnerable. Think Titanic. I heard someone pray, 
As they pray, they recognize that the type of fast that God desires includes deliverance for the oppressed and freedom for the captive. But that also we are all, every one of us, are in need of freedom and deliverance. For there are many things that oppress us. And then I finally heard someone pray that we wanted to be known as a community that was good at seeking his face. That the reputation we wanted the Lord to give us was that we would be known as a people that pray and fast. I rings bell rings true for me because uh, as a central leader in a church, a spiritual community, there are temptations all the time to try to outdo the other churches in town, like we're in competition or something. Crazy. But this is the thing that I realize. I don't want to be in competition with anyone. I want to be obedient to the Lord. And I want him to label us, define us, to put on us what he wants. He wants, I want his reputation to be put on us, not what we make for ourselves. And when this one prayed about this, that we would be known as a people who pray and fast, that we would be known as a people that are good at seeking his face. I thought, yes, that's what I want. At a basic level, fasting interrupts our daily routine because we eat regularly. <laughs> uh, a lot of times, three times a day, a lot of times more. We're eating, are you a grazer? Just where you graze all day long? Just, it's amazing how much we consume. And that routine gets interrupted when we choose to pray and fast, where we set aside a time and say, Lord, you're more important than anything else. And in this, we realize our need for God is greater than our need even for food. We're reprioritizing. We're aligning ourselves again with what his priorities are and not our own. But it's not just about what we give up when we fast, it's about setting our faces to seek his face. It's about receiving courage to live his way. It's about consecrating ourselves to be his people. Andrew Murray said this, fasting helps express, deepens, confirms the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. This type of spiritual discipline pushes us past the low commitment, low risk Christianity of the American day. It causes us to examine our hearts to see what's really important and what's really not. And it leads to repentance it leads to realignment and renovation of our lives around his way, around his purpose. And as we find ourselves pursuing God, what happens is we grow more and more dependent upon his grace. And we grow more and more desperate for his power. And we grow more and more dedicated to his mission. That's the realignment that we all have to go through if we're going to be effective servants for this one we call Lord. 
when Jesus said, those who would follow me must deny themselves and pick up their cross. Let me tell you, fasting is a pretty big cross. It's a pretty big self-sacrifice to choose not to stuff your face with cherry pie and rather seek his face and see what he might have to say. God desires a people like that. This practice of fasting has always been marked among God's people. Jesus himself did it. And it was a big habit of the early Jesus movement after Jesus ascended into heaven. There are so many biblical stories that that talk about fasting. We see individuals and communities and even nations as a whole fasting, seeking God's deliverance his forgiveness, his healing, his intervention. We see Aaron fasting when his son dies. We see David and his men fasting after Saul's death. We see David fasting, asking the Lord to spare his son's life mothered by Bathsheba. And it's in that moment that we realize fasting isn't just about getting what we want. It's about aligning ourselves with what God desires. Because you see, David fasted and sought the Lord on behalf of a son who the Lord had said would die because of David's sin. David fasted, but the son still went to be with God. So fasting isn't just a transactional piece where we sacrifice enough to get God to do what we want him to do. Sacrifice may be required, but what's most important to God is that we would align ourselves with his will and with his way, not convince him to do it our way. One of the most powerful demonstrations of fasting is found here in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel is probably one of the most complicated and oftentimes misunderstood books in the Bible because it speaks to a lot of end time prophecies. And there have been people that have interpreted and misinterpreted all over the place. And it is not my attempt to try to get it all cleared up for you today. But I do want to look at this portion in chapter 10 of Daniel and starting in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves." Verse 8, 
So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. And I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Can you imagine if that happened at one of our prayer meetings? Wow. Man, it could. Daniel and some of his friends are gathering for prayer. They are in lamentation because Daniel has seen a vision that is overwhelming. It is too, it is too horrific for him to even understand, to grasp, to fathom. And he is, it has stricken him. And he is seeking the Lord. And the Bible says is that he, he chooses to remove all delicacies and meat and wine from his diet and just to devote himself to seeking the Lord. He doesn't even anoint himself. Daniel is pursuing the Lord for an answer in this situation. And all of a sudden, a celestial being shows up. Only Daniel could see him. The others felt a trembling. It was an earthquake, I guess, if you will, or maybe it's just the own sense that something is holy and awesome and I shouldn't be here. And it makes me tremble. And so they trembled. They didn't see anything. And so they did what any normal person would do. They ran and hid. <laughs> I'd be running and hiding too. And this is reminiscent of other times in scripture where we've seen heavenly interruptions into history. And we can read about them in the Bible. Think about this persecutor of the church named Saul. He's on the road to Damascus and he is out to get Christians, those following the way. He is out to arrest and to execute, if possible, these who are following this so-called Messiah. And he is on his way outside of Jerusalem, on his way to Damascus, and all of a sudden, an interruption comes. Suddenly, he sees this bright light, and he is knocked to the ground. And all those who are with him, they don't see what's happening, but they hear what's thunderous roar. And they're scared and fearful, and so is Saul. We also hear about the Apostle John while he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And he is there and he writes to us in the first few paragraphs of First Revelation or Revelation 1 what has happened. And it is so much of a parallel to what happens to Daniel, what we just read. We may think that these happenings are are not even true, or if they are true, they're just related to an old time. They're just a Bible thing. But let me tell you, the one who is holy and radiant is still showing up today. I read Darren Carlson, who is a writer for the Gospel Coalition. And in the last year or two, he writes about a Persian migrant who recently arrived at a refugee center and he was tremendously upset, visibly upset. Carlson writes that this Christian pastor, he's also Persian, was there receiving him. And the, the Persian migrant said, during the night I saw someone dressed in a white 
robe, raised his hand and said to me, stand up and follow me. And the Persian man said, who are you? And the man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. This Persian man was a Muslim. He was so disturbed by all of this that he ran to the, the fugitive, to, the, to the, uh, the, the center there, the, um, the refugee center. And he, he grabbed hold of that pastor as soon as he could and he kept saying, who is this? Who have I seen? What is he speaking to me? I don't understand. How should I follow him? What does this mean? When the Persian pastor opened up the book of Revelation and he read where Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That man started crying right there in front of this pastor. How can I accept him, he said. What must I do to obey what he said to me? How can I follow him? So the, the pastor led him in just a very simple prayer, and the peace of God came all over that man. Those tears of fear and anxiety turned to tears of joy. And the man sat there and wept as the Holy Spirit of God rushed over him and forgave him his sins and established him in the household of faith. Amen. And so the pastor handed him a Bible and he said, you'll want this, but be careful. Those that are in this camp would be very upset with you if they found that you were reading this Bible. And he said, the Jesus I met today is more powerful than the Muslims in this camp. And so he went out and just a few hours later, he brought 10 men back to him and said, they want Bibles too. Visions are still happening. Just because they don't happen to you doesn't mean that God's not still interrupting all of history in order for his kingdom to be established and for his reign and rule over the earth to be declared. Daniel was in a great need. He was desperate for some interaction from the Lord, from the Holy One. And so he fasted and he prayed. And then the curtain, the cosmic curtain that separates our reality from the reality was pulled back. And that which was invisible to him to begin with was made known to him. And all of a sudden, the one that he had been praying to was right there in front of him. Wow. I just want that to happen to me. No, I don't either. I don't do that. That'd be horrible. That'd be fearful. The point is, is that God is still interrupting us. Listen, let's continue reading verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Daniel's about 90 years old when this is happening. He's, he's more than likely have, has been a, an official in, uh, in authority up until the first year of Cyrus. And this is the third year of Cyrus when this happens. And so he's now probably retired, but still in that region. And he is now before the Lord, the Almighty. And he is trembling in his hands and his knees. He's, he's on all four and he, he probably just thinks, let me die. And he said to me, Daniel continues, oh Daniel, 
man greatly loved. Would you like to hear God say that to you? Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, there's some fascinating truths in all of this exchange that are going on, and I just want to point out a couple of them, and then we'll, we'll close and, and come to the Lord's table. First is that this is now a second person who has shown up, not necessarily the one that we read about earlier in chapter 10. This is a second person who is a messenger, an angel of the Lord, and he's been sent to help Daniel. He's the one that puts his hand on his shoulder. The one that Daniel had seen earlier, I believe, is Jesus. The same Jesus that John saw, the same Jesus that Saul saw. I believe the same Jesus that that Persian migrant saw. The rest of the vision that covers into the last three chapters of Daniel, Daniel 10, 11, and 12, they're all talking about the same vision, indicates that this angel has been sent to help Daniel and to reveal to him certain things about his prayer. And he's already said some things that are really profound. Why is this important? Why is it important for us to read this and be encouraged by it? Well, I believe that it's because there are things surrounding Daniel's prayer that are also surrounding our prayers. I want you to get this because... A lot of times we pray and we just don't know if anything's going on. What this story tells us is that there's a whole lot more going on than we could ever imagine. That there are all sorts of things behind the scenes that are happening as Daniel is praying. It helps us see that when we pray, things are going on behind the scenes. It's not just what we see that is our reality. It is much of what we don't see that is the reality. God's reality is so far greater than our reality. I think about those who have gone on to be with the Lord, and we're blessed to have David Brown here today, and his lovely wife went home to be with the Lord just this last week. And we we love you, David, and we're praying for you. But I want to say this. Gail's reality today is so much more real than our reality. She's in the presence of her creator and God. She is there at the Father's feet. She is worshiping. She has a far better grasp on reality than we do. And we think we've got it all figured out here on this earth. Let me tell you something. There is a whole other existence that we know very little about. But that is the reality. 
And that is the place that one day those of us who are in Christ Jesus will all be. We will be in his reality. The curtain will truly be pulled back for every one of us. I think it's important for us to see that involved in Daniel's prayer is a whole spiritual dynamic that's going on behind it. And when we pray, those same dynamics are ongoing. When we pray, if we are praying in the name of Jesus, which doesn't just mean we throw on there the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers. It means that we're praying in the will of God, the one who asks us to pray. It means that we're praying his will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that way, there is so much more going on out there. We need to be aware that God, at any moment, an angel could break in and show me what this means. He could break in on where I'm at. He could show me the realities of what I'm engaging here in my prayer and intercession. And so when we read Daniel's story, we're to read it in such a way as to help us see there's things going on when I pray too. The same great being that Daniel saw, whose face is like lightning and whose eyes are like flaming torches, he is listening to Daniel and he is listening to you too. The same one and... That angel who was dispatched from God's presence to come and help Daniel, there are angels out there to be dispatched for you as well. The writer of Hebrews says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. That's any of us who are in Christ Jesus. There are ministering spirits, angelic forces that have been dispatched to help you. We don't talk about it a lot. I don't believe in worshiping of angels, but I do want to recognize that there's a whole spiritual realm that we know very little about. So that's the first thing. When you pray, there's so much more going on than what meets the eye. Secondly, we're given some further behind-the-scene details. The angel says that from the moment Daniel started praying, from the very moment that he started God heard his prayer. He immediately dispatched this angel to help Daniel. But the messenger was unable to get to Daniel for 21 days because he had to contend with a mysterious prince of Persia. Now, again, I don't want to be spooky or all mystical, but there are all sorts of evil forces out there at work as well. There are demonic forces, there are principalities, there are things of evil that are at work that we can't visibly see, but we can see the results of them. So Daniel starts praying, but he has to wait and suffer for three whole weeks. And of course, he has no idea that the messenger's been dispatched. He didn't get a text, hey, I'm on my way, you know, be there soon. He didn't get any notification. Okay, we heard your prayer. We're sending somebody. He'll be there in three weeks. Daniel just keeps on praying. He doesn't, he doesn't know what's happening. He's just pursuing the Lord. He's facing himself to God. He's seeking his face. He's asking for intervention. And for Daniel, all he knew is that God wasn't even going to respond. But the moment he started praying, God had already acted. 
Now, let me ask you this. How soon do we give up on our prayers? Let me ask you it this way. How long is to pray about something? How long is too long to pray about something? Is a day too long to pray about something? Is a week? Is that too long? If you don't get your answer in a week, is that, do we just give up? What about three weeks? Is, is three weeks too long to pray for something? What about a year? Is a year too long? What about 10 years? What about 20? What about 50? How long is too long to pray about something? The Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. And we give up too soon. We, well, I tried that. It doesn't work. Man, if that didn't end Daniel, do you think that that angel would have shown up to him? We give up too quick. What Daniel's showing us is that we must persevere in whatever we intercede for. That if we will do that, we can then be unfolded into something that is bigger than us because God's already acted. He's already spoken the word. He's already sent the messenger. Are we gonna persevere and be able to receive it when he comes? I wonder if we couldn't use a little more perseverance in our prayer, in our endurance, in our long suffering, in our praying for something. How many times have you prayed for someone's salvation and it took decades for that person to come to faith? I've told you about my dad's business partner. He was in business with him for 45 plus years. And that man was really quite a carnal man. But he knew my dad was a believer. Dad did not overtly preach the gospel to him. Dad lived the gospel every day of their business relationship. And they became social friends too. They weren't just business partners. They were deep friends. Our families were very, very close. Dad continued to love him, continued to love the Lord, continued to look for opportunities for where God might do something. And then he got diagnosed with cancer. And a week before he died, my dad was visiting in the hospital and JJ looked at him and said, do you see that man that's standing over there in the corner? You see, he got visited by an angel too, or maybe Jesus. And in the course of that conversation, they had a faith conversation like they had never had before. How long is too long? Was 45 years too long for him? We need to persevere more. One more thing. It really stands out to me, and maybe it's the most important thing. Verse 11 says, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have, I have been sent to you. O Daniel, man greatly loved. Again, I would love for God to say that to me. I like it when my wife says that to me. Oh, Chris, man greatly loved. But can you imagine hearing God's, can you imagine God's messenger saying that to you? You are a man greatly loved. That word in the Hebrew, and I'm going to impress you with my Hebrew uh, prowess right now. That, that word is chamato. Yeah, I don't know if that's the way you say it. I just made it up. Uh, it means this. It means to desire, to take pleasure in to find something precious, 
and wanting to possess the desired thing or person. So when he says to him, Daniel, you're greatly loved, God is telling Daniel through his messenger, you, Daniel, are someone I desire to be with me. You, Daniel, are someone in whom I take great pleasure. You, Daniel, are someone that I find precious and that I want you to be my desired possession. Does that sound familiar? Peter says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into marvelous light. That's what God says to us when he chooses us. But here's the most incredible thing about this word. It's not the first time that it gets used in this chapter. You see, the same word is back up at chapter, or verse three. I ate no hamato, delicacies. I ate no precious foods. I ate no desirable food. I ate no food I take pleasure in. I ate no delectable, the kind of food you don't ever want to miss up on. That's the same word for the word that's used to describe Daniel. God says when you give up what you desire for him, you become what he desires. God said when you lay aside something precious to seek my face, you become precious in my sight. God is saying when you forsake your wholesome pleasures for my sake, then you become the one in whom I take great pleasure. You are greatly loved. You're someone I desire to be with. You're someone in whom I take pleasure. I find you precious and I want you as my desired possession. This is what happens when we pray and fast. We're giving up something that is good in order to get in on something that is better. And now all of a sudden we're realigning ourselves to his purpose and his way. He sees us and he sees what we're giving up and he says, wow, you desired that greatly. Your pursuit of me makes me desire you all the more. May we become a people good at seeking him. May we become a people that are good at setting aside even the good things in our lives, food and social media and entertainment and things that can bring pleasure to us. May we be good at setting aside that which pleases us in order that we might please him. And may we become experts in fasting and praying. May we delight in him so fully that his word to us is that I delight in you. Let's pray. Lord, let this be our prayer, that we would become your delight, that we would understand there's, there's a whole story going on behind the story we see, and it's more the reality than the reality we see. 
that you're at work, that you're dispatching angels, that you are answering prayers, that it's our job to know it's active there and that we should persevere in the midst of prayer while we're here. But also, Lord, may we be those who delight fully in you, where we are even willing to sacrifice the things that bring us pleasure and delight in order for us to become that which brings you pleasure and delight. And help us, Lord, to radiate that to our communities, to our families that don't know you, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to people that you want us to be salt and light, that we choose to delight in him. And therefore, he delights in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.